Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. This week's episode is sponsored by Wild Deodorant. Wild is a natural deodorant that is free of aluminium and parabens, whilst also being cruelty-free and vegan. I don't know about you, but I have tried quite a few different natural deodorants in the past. But what I love about Wild is that it actually works. I am basically on the move all day, running around after Rose, who has become Speedy Gonzalez, on the school run and sometimes recording a podcast in between all that chaos. And Wild, which I've been using for a while now, actually keeps me fresh as a daisy. I've been using the Coconut Dream scent and it's absolutely lovely. It comes in a fully sustainable aluminium case for life with little refills that you pop in that are biodegradable and recyclable. We all know that it's the little choices we make that make the difference when it comes to being more sustainable. And the deodorant that we choose to buy and use is such a simple switch to start being kinder to both our skin and the planet. So go to Wild today and get yourself this natural deodorant that actually works. You can order by going to wearewild.com and you will get 20% off your first order if you pop in the code MOTHERKIND at the checkout. That's wearewild.com. Pop in MOTHERKIND for 20% off. So thank you to Wild for supporting the podcast, which enables me to keep putting out weekly episodes like this one. So on to this week's episode. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode, which is all about sustainability. Now I'm not going to lie, I am feeling a little bit nervous about this one. I don't normally feel nervous putting a podcast out, but this one I do because clearly climate change is a massive issue. There's an understatement for you. It is probably the challenge of our time. Yet, we are also in a global pandemic, another challenge of our time, and all the challenges that that brings. And I know that just getting through the day can feel like an achievement right now, let alone having to think about how sustainable we are. But I think this is a really important conversation to have whatever time we do that. And this week's guest, Jane Gale, talks about sustainability in a really accessible way. I hope you'll agree. I'm learning about this too. You know, when I think about sustainability and my own footprint, it's so easy to get overwhelmed, isn't it? When I look around and I see the plastic toys and the food shopping comes and the plastic, and it can feel so overwhelming and guilty. Like I definitely experienced some eco guilt. So what I took from this episode was twofold. The first thing was that we cannot afford to do nothing. We cannot afford to be in denial about our individual power that we each hold to do something about this crisis. But that action that we can take can be small. It can be absolutely minute and very imperfect. 
That's definitely where I sit on this. You know, I try my best, but I do it deeply imperfectly. And any changes that I make, I'm not going to lie, are pretty micro. But I think what my conversation with Jen helped me see is that that's okay. In fact, that's more than okay. Jen says, we don't need a handful of people doing this perfectly. Like we see them on Instagram, the kind of zero waste, zero plastic. What she says we need is millions of people, just like you and I, getting a little bit more sustainable, but doing it messily, imperfectly, and in really small ways. So Jen Gale is the award-winning creator of A Sustainable Life, which is a blog. She also wrote a book in 2020 called The Sustainable-ish Living Guide. And she has a new book out, which is why we had this conversation, which is called The Sustainable-ish. And I think that ish is so important, isn't it? The Sustainable-ish Guide to Green Parenting. So I am so curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Do we need to do more? Are we being too kind on ourselves? Do we need to push ourselves to do more and more and more around sustainability? Or does it feel that we have enough on our plates and thinking about our footprint is just another thing and it feels too much? Let me know where you sit on this. Let me know what you took from the episode. And if you are going to make any small changes off the back of the episode, please tell us motherkind underscore Zoe on Instagram. Here's the episode. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I just said I'm feeling more than a little touch of imposter syndrome. So thank you so much. Well, not at all. I think your book was brilliant. I was just saying that I was reading it last night and I really enjoyed it. So we're going to have a conversation about how parents can be more sustainable-ish. Mm. And I think that yeah. is the most important part yes. that we're going to encourage people to take from this conversation. I'd love to get your view. You know, we're in a global pandemic. A lot of parents are pushed to the brink yeah. in terms of their resilience. So many parents I speak to are the point of burnout. They're just getting through the days, getting the homeschooling done if they're choosing to do that, not having the support around them. And yet here we are having a conversation about how parents can be more sustainable. And I'm wondering if some listeners are wanting to punch both of us now. Because it might feel like, well, hang on a minute, I am going to buy plastic convenience foods Mm -hmm. because I'm knackered at six o'clock. Yeah. And I am going to order things from Amazon that are going to come the next day because I haven't been organized enough to go on Facebook Marketplace and get a secondhand one because that would take a week and I need the craft thing for the homeschooling tomorrow. Could we start there? You know, you're a homeschooling parent of three as well. Is it intelligent to have this conversation now? So, yeah, I've got two. I've got two boys who are 12 and nine. Um, oh, sorry, I thought you had three. No, that's all right. Maybe there's a... No, there's definitely not a third. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never <laughs> So I am absolutely there as well. I had a massive sob on my husband the other night and just... Yeah, I think we're all pretty much on our knees, aren't we? We are all, I feel, quite broken. There's lots of mixed feelings I know about. We're recording this just as the two weeks or less than two weeks, counting the days until the kids go back to school. So I absolutely am there with you. And the very last thing I want to do or the book is intended to do is to pile on another layer of guilt and another layer of pressure because, you know, parenting's tough enough anyway. Parenting during a pandemic is like next level. And then exactly like you say, some idiot then comes along and tells you, oh, by the way, you shouldn't be using Amazon or you shouldn't be doing this. Then, yeah, absolutely. People are completely justified wanting to punch me in the face. I think with parenting, 
or my experience of parenting is there is guilt, whatever you do, isn't there? So there's guilt, whether you're homeschooling, there's guilt, whether you're able to send your kids to school because you're a key worker, there's guilt, whether you breastfeed, whether you bottle feed, you know, whatever there is, somebody will make you feel guilty about it. My perception or my feeling is that there are a lot of parents out there probably feeling guilty and anxious about the environment. But as you say, there's so many other things to deal with. And I don't know about you, but certainly last year and even at the beginning of this year, there's been quite a lot of sort of amazing David Attenborough documentaries. And there's a certain bit of me, and I'm sure lots of listeners will relate to this, that you kind of don't want to watch it because you know it's going to make you feel bad. So we're all kind of aware of the climate crisis. It's another thing that's adding to the overwhelm and the guilt. And I guess maybe the take on this is that you see this as something that actually you can control, like these things within your home, these gentle, really imperfect suggestions that you can pick the ones that will be easy, pick the low-hanging fruits, that actually this is something when everything else is so out of control, when we've got no control over a global pandemic, when we've got no control over government responses, when our kids will be in school, this is something that we can actually take a little bit of control over and maybe feel a little bit empowered, dare I say it. I think it's a good point. And I know that when I do something very imperfectly, which I think is a more sustainable choice, it does feel esteeming, actually. Yeah, it is. You know, I think that first step is always the hardest one because there's a graph somewhere, I think, that sort of shows that, you know, this sort of first step is huge. And then after that, it becomes much easier because you develop that momentum, that kind of like, wow, actually, that wasn't that hard. And that was really easy. And like, I know nappies are a big thing when you've got young children and not everybody's going to want to do reusable nappies and not everybody's going to want to do it certainly as a first step, especially when we're in the middle of a pandemic and homeschooling and everything's overwhelming. But the example I use is when we had our first, I had every intention of using reusable nappies, but do you know, like rabbit in the headlights, like we weren't sleeping, all those sorts of things. But every time I put a disposable nappy in the bin, I was just feeling a bit crap about it, just feeling a bit guilty. And then it got to about, I don't know, eight, 10 weeks. And we finally started to maybe think about taking a breath. We had the nappy man. I think he's the only nappy man in the country come around from our local wildlife trust and sort of show me what to do and things. And that sort of layer of guilt that I hadn't really even acknowledged was kind of lifted. And I was like, oh my God, I feel so much better about myself now. Do you know? And so there are advantages to it. It isn't that you're going to read the book and feel guilty and feel like, I'm telling you, you've got to deprive yourself of all the convenience, of all the nice things, of all the things that make life easier, because nobody's going to want to do that. That's not particularly aspirational, is it? It's all about gentle steps, imperfect action, because we've all got different families. We've all got different circumstances and setups and different challenges. You know, some people will be caring for older parents as well as the kids. Some people will have kids with additional needs, you know, so this idea that there's one size fits all is complete rubbish. And so that's kind of, I hope the message that the book gives is it's about finding what works for you and for your family and helping to ditch some of that guilt and overwhelm. When you said we don't need a handful of kind of eco warriors doing mm. perfectly, what we need is millions, if not billions, yeah. of people making very, very small, imperfect. Yeah adjustments and that really struck me because I think 
you know, I sit in the well-being world, I guess, with mother kind. And I do see lots of people doing this very perfectly. You know, lots of people bulk buying, going to bulk shops with their reusable containers mm. you know, for the pasta and the grains. And I see people, you know, using the washing balls and I'm there using my plastic washing powder. And I think that's what I like about when you say that, because actually... If I do choose like once a week to yeah. go to school instead of drop, drive. Oh my God, yeah. That's actually a big contribution. Let's just start right at the start because, as you said, lots of people, this does feel like the climate crisis does feel like another thing that is almost overwhelming. I know for a long time I kind of put my hands in my ears mm. It felt too much to hear yeah. it on top of everything else going on. So maybe let's very gently just underscore this crisis and the importance of us all taking very small and perfect action and the impact that that could actually have. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it is hugely overwhelming. And I was in exactly the same place as you, sort of somehow, not consciously, but choosing to sort of look away and feeling like it wasn't my place to do anything about it surely if it's that bad it would be like the response to coronavirus and the government would be coming down hard pushing things through imposing all these laws and they they kind of don't seem that bothered about it and you know surely if it was that bad businesses would be rapidly changing what they're doing and obviously they wouldn't be putting profit first you know that's crazy of course they wouldn't be doing that and thinking i'm just one person this is huge this needs Boris and Biden and all those people to step up and to do this. What possible impact can me choosing a different washing powder make? And I absolutely, completely get that. And please be assured, I feel that on a regular basis. <laughs> the climate crisis is, I think David Attenborough was just on Good Morning Britain this morning saying, you know, this is the biggest problem of our time. Like this is the sort of defining issue of our generation. And he also talks about this idea that the decisions that we're making now are going to have an impact in a hundred years' time. So there's no pressure, you know, <laughs> no pressure to pick the right washing powder. And it is huge and it is overwhelming. There's a brilliant tweet by I think her name's Kimberly Nicholas. She's a climate scientist and she went to one of the climate strikes obviously last year and or 2019. And she's got this sort of climate crisis in 12 words and it's basically like, it's warming, we're causing it, it's bad. And then the last one is like, we can fix it. So I think it's really important that we understand where we are and what's caused it. But it's also really, really important that we hang on to that we can fix it bit because otherwise we just run the risk of just people just going, well, do you know what, Sod? There's nothing we can do about it. It's too late. It's not too late. So the next 10 years are kind of crucial because there was lots of talk around the US election, around the fact that Trump took America out of what's called the Paris Agreement. And that was something that happened in 2015. The reason it's banged on about a lot is because it was completely historical. And it was the first time all the nations had come together to say, this is a problem. We're all going to take action to solve it. And the goal of that is to try and keep temperature changes below one and a half degrees C of warming. Now, again, one and a half degrees C of warming. So what? Like I've got a cup of tea here. Couldn't tell you if it was 90 degrees or 
87 degrees, you know, like, so it doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? One and a half degrees of warming. But actually, in terms of the planet, it's kind of huge because there's all these really delicate systems and ecosystems that are sort of all interacting together and all these little feedback loops and mechanisms and stuff that keep our planet in this sort of safe, habitable zone. And what's happening is that we're pushing it out of that. And if we get to one and a half degrees C, if we get to two degrees C, we start getting these this is all a bit technical, but these sort of runaway feedback loops and things will then be kind of very much out of our control. So we've basically got until 2030 to really pull our fingers out and do something about this. Now, as individuals, our role in this is, and again, I don't want to get too technical because I know people just glaze over and switch off, but we all have a carbon footprint. So countries have a carbon footprint, businesses have a carbon footprint, your iPhone has a carbon footprint. It's the impact that it has on the planet. And the average UK carbon footprint for an average person is around nine or 10 tonnes of carbon. We've got to get that down as individuals to about two and a half tonnes by 2030. Is that, so that in a lifetime? That's per year. Our annual carbon footprint in the UK per person is around nine or 10 tonnes. We've got to get that down to about two and a half, which sounds like, oh my God, doesn't it? But we've got 10 years to do that. So if we can shave off 10% this year and... Actually, we can break that down into manageable chunks and we absolutely can do that. So, you know, some really easy things that are big impact would be switching your energy supplier to a renewable tariff. And again, we're busy, we're overwhelmed, we're stretched. And you're telling me I've got to go online and sift through a load of blooming energy suppliers and how can I believe what they're saying and all those kinds of things. But there's some great websites. There's one called Big Clean Switch and that only lists renewable tariffs. So you literally grab a recent bill, go on there put all your details in and it will just give you a range of quotes and you pick the one you like the best. You can do it in an episode of Paw Patrol. Do you know, like you can do this. There are really doable, easy things that you can do that will have a big impact. And once you're done, you just can kind of sit back and it's done. What struck me in the book was that I think there is a feeling and certainly I have this feeling like, well, actually it's kind of big business is responsible. Mm -hmm. The farming, meat, dairy industry but actually 60% of carbon emissions are down to individual households. Yeah, that's actually, mad, isn't it? I think that is in a way a positive message because what I take from that is that with these small micro changes, we mm. could all have a big difference. We, could we are so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. So yeah. big business absolutely needs to change we can help to drive that change with the choices that we're making. So let's talk about consumerism then. Yeah. That feels like a huge driver in this Mm. from society at large, telling us we need new things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Be happy. I think that's the systemic root cause of capitalism. We're not going to change that. But actually we have the power as consumers to decide whether or not to buy into that message and become far more conscious around consumption tell me about your journey there because you actually didn't buy anything new for a year rest assured I did that so you guys don't have to if you don't want to so it was about eight or nine years ago now so the kids were only little they were like four and two and I randomly like I don't even know how it happened I for some reason had five minutes to sit down with a cup of tea and a magazine and I read this article about this lady doing she called it her secondhand safari and I was just like oh that sounds quite a fun challenge and oh wouldn't this be exciting and I'm someone 
who like has a lot of air quotes, amazing ideas, you know, and, and then I sort of get distracted by the next idea. And I sort of mentioned it to my husband and he was like, right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And just sort of assumed I'd forget about it, I think. And I brought it up again the next week and his poor little face, he was like, Oh God. So we did it and it was quite naive. You know, I thought it would be quite fun. And up until that point, exactly as we said earlier, I'd been sort of unconsciously choosing to sort of look away from the climate crisis. I hadn't joined the dots between the things that I was buying and the impact that all this stuff was having on the world. Even if you'd asked me like how my clothes were made, I'd have said in a factory and my assumption was it was all like a giant machine and there's a couple of people there checking it's working okay. And it genuinely never occurred to me that it is in a factory, but there's women sitting and it usually is women, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, sewing the same seam on the same t-shirt day in, day out. Like that just wouldn't have occurred to me that that was the reality of it. And that my choice to just chuck in, I don't know, a three pack of baby grows for five quid, 10 quid, whatever in the weekly shop is actually what's driving some of those poor working practices and things like that. I just hadn't sort of joined those dots. And exactly as you say, I sort of assumed, well, you know, surely businesses wouldn't be allowed to do that. They can't be allowed to, it's there, so it must be okay. And then suddenly just having this realisation that actually everything I buy has an impact. And there's that amazing Jane Goodall quote, something about every day you make a difference and you get to decide what kind of difference you want to make. And I was like, oh my God. And I think just that stopgap of like, oh, I need this, I want this, chuck it in the trolley, chuck it in the Amazon basket, having to stop and think, oh God, where are we going to get this from? Meant nine times out of 10, I probably didn't bother getting it or sort of made use of something else. Or, you know, if we really wanted it, then we could find it secondhand. And it made me realize how much stuff is already out there. Some people grow up with that really sort of thrifty charity shop shopping ethos in their families. And we really didn't. Like my parents were baby boomers. Like my dad was like, why are you going into charity shops? And I always used to find it really difficult to find what I needed in charity shops and things like that. But just that stopgap, because I think so much of what we buy is completely unconscious, isn't it? It's unthoughtful not in a not saying people are being you know mean or anything when they're buying it's just I talk about going into Lidl's for a pint of milk and coming out with a hedge trimmer or a fence sprayer or whatever you just oh yeah or going to Ikea you know coming out with all this stuff I would think about where we could buy stuff cheapest but it never occurred to me to think about who might have made this what's it made from where's it come from you know all those kinds of things and this realization that actually the choice I was making was having much wider repercussions than just oh I've got a nice thing for my house or for the kids and that's a real pain in the ass to realise that. I'm not going to lie, you know, like... As you were speaking, I was just like, wow, I feel like my kind of invisible labour admin threshold, things I have to think about is pretty much at its yeah. end. To then have to think about the supply chain of the clothing <laughs> that I'm buying, it feels important and it feels very conscious, but it does feel like, it feels a lot. Mm. It is a lot. There's no way I can kind of sugarcoat that. There are lots of ways to make it easier the biggest thing with consumption is just to slow it down. You touched earlier on this idea that, you know, it's this systemic issue, isn't it? We are bombarded with messages every single day telling us that we will be prettier, look younger, be richer, have more friends, be more popular. Our kids will be happy and healthy if we have X, Y, and Z. And of course, we've bought into that because that's what we're bombarded with every day. That's what we've grown up with. Actually, to kind of take a deep breath and a step back. I am really rubbish at this. I appreciate the sort of endorphin high of a purchase as much as anybody. But, you know, like actually 
And I always want to punch people when they say this. What are the things that really make you happy? Being out in nature, blah, blah, blah. You know, yes, sometimes we do just kind of want a nice top or something like that. But actually, there are lots of ways to make it easier. You can subscribe to the whole buy less, buy better thing. You know, Vivian Westwood talks about that in terms of, I mean, I don't have a capsule wardrobe. I would love to be that stylish, but I'm not. So buying fewer clothes, but better quality so that you're able to afford some of the more ethical and sustainable bands because they are more expensive because they're paying the true cost or a more true reflection of the cost of these garments. Whereas with the sort of cheap, fast fashion, the people that are paying for it are the workers and the cotton growers and all those kinds of things. So it's really difficult because I completely understand where you're coming from. And I completely understand that it might be a lot of listeners going, she's off her head. Like, I don't know how we square that. So buying less is one of the easier ways to do it. It will save you money. It saves you having to make those decisions. You know, actually, God, I really want a new top. Why don't I go and have a look, shop my wardrobe? Why don't I just go and have a look and drag out all those tops that I bought six months ago or a year ago and I've never actually worn because for some reason they got pushed to the back of the wardrobe? Can I do that? And it's not as exciting. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, is it possible to do that? And I've got a new top to wear. Can I wear that top with a different like let's go crazy (laughs) but also on a deeper level you know I know for me when I get that urge when I want something new particularly clothes for me Mm. there's always something deeper under that yes it's always asking a feeling I don't want to feel or an insecurity that I haven't yet acknowledged or it's never about the thing it's Mm. never about the thing and I think consumerism is such a clever sticking faster because mm. what it really does is what it does for me is it, it can enable me to avoid a lot of those deeper feelings yeah definitely that buying stuff because you know people say money can't buy you happiness I totally disagree with that you know when I open something new I get that rush of endorphins it does make me happy but it doesn't make me peaceful and it doesn't right, make me yeah, feel yeah, yeah. that sense of serenity and joy and calm happiness is a totally different emotion than that so I think that's something really interesting to unpack as well it's like is this thing going to bring me kind of that long-term sense of peace and calm is it actually going to make me feel any different beyond the moment that I rip it open when I would defy anyone who didn't feel that buzz in that moment right yeah it's like being a kid at Christmas isn't it like a rush of endorsement, it does make you happy in that moment, but happiness is just a fleeting feeling like any mm. other. What I'm kind of interested in these days is like that feeling of peace, mm. ease. And buying stuff has never actually given me that. The only things I've bought that have given me that are things like retreats and things that enable me to do more inner work. Like experience type. Yeah, yeah experiences. Mm. days. Yeah. What about holidays? Do you take the plane? Is there guilt associated with that? So we probably haven't flown for several years. You know, we go camping. So the kids are 12 and 9. They're an ideal age for sort of wanting to do that and go camping and go walking and take the bikes and take the dog with us and all those sorts of things. So we haven't flown. There are times when I'm like, do you know what? I would just love to get on a plane and go somewhere hot and put the kids in kids club and read a book for two weeks. You know, I would love to do that, but it's hard, you know, 
somebody described this to me and I thought it was brilliant. Do you know the marshmallow test? It's like a famous psychological experiment where they, I can't remember the exact details, but it's, been it's since been discredited. But. Oh, has it? Oh, damn it. Um, so they gave kids a marshmallow and said, if you can wait five minutes while I just pop out and do this, when I come back, if the marshmallow is delayed, you can have two marshmallows. So it's about delayed gratification. Somebody described sort of living more slowly, more thoughtfully, more consciously as a giant marshmallow test. So she's kind of not doing some things now. And she's a grandma, this lady who said this, she's not doing some things now in the knowledge that it will then enable her children to be able to do certain things and have a certain standard of life. Because the reality is, if nothing changes, we are probably going to be the first generation whose kids have a worse quality of life than their parents did. It literally is coming down to that. Our kids are going to be having a very, very unstable future unless we make a few sacrifices now. So is our desire, is my personal desire for two weeks in the sun enough to know that potentially, obviously my two weeks in the sun isn't going to be the thing that pushes it over, but it's those cumulative millions of two weeks in the sun that do. I mean, we had a heartbreaking conversation with the kids because you know we talked for ages about going to Australia and you know whole trip of a lifetime and all those sorts of things and we may still do it but if we do it it will be a very very conscious decision it will be you know we're going we're going for six weeks this is the trip of a lifetime this is our carbon budget in flights or whatever for the next three years but you know like the kids would come back you know, after the summer holidays and say, oh, so-and-so's been to Crete and so-and-so's been here and so-and-so's been there and we've been to like Cornwall in the rain, do you know? And it's really hard, I'm not going to lie, but those are the choices that we're making. But I think what I like about your message is that you're not saying that that would be right for everyone. No, absolutely. Family, experiences of different cultures, mm. one of our top values. So yeah. that wouldn't be a way that I would get into my small changes. Yeah, but it's all about making more thoughtful decisions. And actually, in terms of flying, it's not us going on our two weeks of R&R every summer that's creating the problem. It's the frequent flying that's associated with a lot of business and things like that. So, you know, one of the options on the table in terms of flying is this sort of frequent flyer levy so that you get your first flight tax free a year and then after that you know the tax sequentially increases so that's a great way of allowing us kind of ordinary mortals to have our two weeks away in the sun but the people that are doing the bulk of the damage are the ones that are getting taxed and having to pay more for that. I think what's important in what I kind of thread through the book was that it's thinking about what would work for your yeah family yeah definitely for my family when I think about this what would really work for us is less car use I can get really lazy about car use and just get in the car and actually I think I could see how I could get more intentional and mindful about that and it would be great for me Mm. great for the girls yeah I think that would work for us now that might not work for someone else who lives in the countryside and has to get in the car every day for the school run yeah isn't this about, first of all, kind of taking the, our fingers out our ears and going, yeah. okay, we can do little things. Yeah. And what is that going to be for my mm. family? You know, and I don't get this from your book at all, which is like, you must do this, this, this. In fact, I think your book is the opposite of that. But I think it is important to be like, what would work for you? And remember that none of these changes have to be all or nothing. We don't live in a sort of city or a big town. There's not really much public transport. So school is about three and a half miles away. So we drive. 
there is absolutely no reason why we couldn't cycle. Three and a half miles is doable. The eldest is at secondary school now. The youngest is nine coming up 10. He can easily do that. The reason why we don't is because I can't face the argument every single morning, you know, because it's easier for him and for me, obviously, to kind of jump in the car. So actually, what we can do after having a bit of a conversation is maybe exactly as you said, we can cycle to school once a week, do you know? And I can kind of get that past him. And that's actually reducing our car use by 20% for that week. The other thing that I started doing before this lockdown was that we've got like a cycle trailer thing. So I'd put that on, drive him to school. I'd cycle home, cycle back again, and then drive him home. That's cutting car use by 50% without having to have that argument with him, do you know, <laughs> which obviously I probably should push through and it'd be good for his health and all those sorts of things. But some days we just need to get to school, you know, and remember, it's exactly the same with nappies. It's exactly the same with wipes. Nothing of it has to be all or nothing. Can you do them during the daytime? Can you do them when you're at home and not worry about it at nursery and all those kinds of things? It's just about making a start, picking one thing and making one change. Can you talk through the kind of five guideposts if people are listening going do you know I'm going to start to change one or two little things I think you start with saying think about your why and think oh yeah works for you you might have to prompt me because I haven't got, <laughs> I haven't got the book <laughs> but yeah that completely starting with that why is really important because it is difficult because we're talking about habit change. So any kind of habit change is hard, whether we decide we want to eat more healthily, whether we're trying to get fit, whether we want to lose weight, whatever it is, it's habit change. And we've very unconsciously arrived at all these habits that are probably based on convenience and the easiest thing. And that's why we do them because they're the easiest thing. And so it's going to be difficult to change those things. So getting motivated by knowing why you're doing it. So actually maybe watching a couple of those David Attenborough documentaries that you sort of turned off before he got to the bit that you knew was going to freak you out. It is amazing. I have watched it and it is incredible. I Mm. really, really enjoyed it. Watch those things. And those feelings that you get, that anxiety, you know, channel that, use that, like, this is not the future I want for my children. I do not want my children turning around to me. And this is one of my drivers. I don't want them turning around to me in 20 or 30 years time and saying, what the hell were you doing? Like you knew this was happening. Yeah. They're already saying that, the younger generations. It's already I couldn't stand there and look them in the eye and, you know, unless I had sort of tried, you know, I tried and I did what I could as a busy, overwhelmed, knackered mum, like I did what I could do. So that's my why, you know, and I'm not saying I make the best decision every single time. That's absolute rubbish. There is absolutely no expectation that, you know, you spend three hours researching every single decision that you make. It's about making better decisions more of the time. So if you can make one different decision this week, that is absolutely amazing. And you are winning and you embed that change and you wait until that's your new normal. And then you pick one more thing and one more thing and it will become quicker and it will become easier. But, you know, when you're like, oh, do you know what? I really can't be asked. Sometimes just be asked and channel into that why and think about, well, and also, you know, is this one of my red lines? If I've set myself some sort of boundaries and some limits, is this one of those things that I'm really going to pick my battle over, if you like? Or is this one of those things that actually today I'm going to let go? Or is it that in lockdown, I'm a bit gentler on myself, as we all need to be? But yeah, tuning into that why is really, really important. You'll have to remind me of the other five. I'm really sorry. Well, the one that struck me was just pick one thing, like I said, with the car use. What are other one things that parents could pick to start making these kind of micro changes? So 
I talk a lot when I'm in my membership and things. If anyone's done any life coaching, they might have come across this. It's like wheel of life. And you sort of look at different areas of your life and you can think of it as a cake and the different pieces of cake. So in exactly the same way, you might have a cake and there might be, like you say, travel and transport on there. There might be consumerism on there. There might be food on there. There might be plastic on there. So you pick one of those pieces of cake that you want to start with. And then you pick one thing within that. So for you, you've said, you know, travel and transport. So that's going to be my thing. Actually, I'm going to look at car use. Within that, I'm going to look at the school run, you know, and so that's where I start and then break it down into tiny little steps. Okay, so school run. So what are our other alternatives? So we can walk, we can bike, we can scoop. Is there a bus service? Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to actually email school and ask them how the bus service works. If I need to sign up to it all the time, if we can pick and choose, can they just hop on? So you make it so that you've literally got like one I don't know, 10 minute task that you can do this week and you do it. So it's the whole time it's like chunking it down, chunking it down. I think plastics will be a big thing that lots of people really, really want to make an impact on because it's really visible, isn't it? We can see it. We can see the cause and effect. Just bear in mind, I think plastic in your food shopping is one of the hardest things to tackle. You know, we see it every time we un- the shopping comes and we unpack it and we feel that frustration and that like, God, why is there so much? And we feel powerless to change it because a lot of it's to do with supermarkets, supply chains and all those kinds of things. Well, let's have a look at the bathroom. Let's have a look at reusable sanitary products. Is there one of them that might suit me that I could do? And that's saving a shed load of plastic that nobody even talks about. Do you know, there are lots of different ways that you can come at it. And if you're finding that you're repeatedly banging your head against a brick wall or this thing feels too big, take a breath and pivot and have a look at something else yeah the plastic thing feels big and feels hard and I think that's because it is yeah definitely mainstream consumerism is wrapped up in plastics something I'm curious about when we're looking at that wheel and kind of all the different areas is there one area that micro changes have a bigger impact so my understanding is that meat Mm. dairy is a really simple switch like not eating meat once a week twice a week actually has a far bigger impact than car use there's that really famous graph isn't there on cowspiracy that shows how actually car use is tiny 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 in fact the whole of travel and transport put together is only a small fraction of the carbon footprint of the Mm. meat industry so is that a thing as well thinking about well actually I could switch my car out but my impact on this issue could be far greater if I choose not to eat meat twice a week for example yeah there are things like that to be aware of Yeah, definitely. You know, and if you've got, as we all have, limited time, limited energy, limited headspace, limited money, as you said, so it's thinking about what works for us and what changes we might want to make that might work for us as a family, but also what's going to give me the biggest bang for my buck almost, you know, like what are the changes that I might be able to make incrementally that can bang up. So meat and dairy is a really, really big one. Again, there is no you must go vegan. You know, you're killing the planet unless you're vegan. Like we're not vegan. We're trying really hard to eat a lot more veggie meals. But when you're cooking for kids and it's soul destroying anyway, when you just, you know, you've spent half an hour or an hour making something, you don't like that. And you're like, well, you watched it last week. You know, it can be really difficult to create meals that the whole family are going to eat. So can you sub in, if you're making a casserole or something, half the meat and bung in a tin of baked beans? Like that will bulk it up and, you know, that's halving the amount of meat. So you, you don't have to rush out and buy a load of plant-based cookbooks and argue with your kids about the amount of vegetables that they're eating. It can just be, again, the whole buy less, buy better thing. A lot of the meat and dairy stats come from these massive farms that are on deforested rainforest, all those kinds of things. Actually, here in the UK, 
Now our agriculture system is very different. And I interviewed on my podcast, the owner of Yo Valley, which are a big, you know, mil- yeah. uh, milk and dairy producer. They farm in such a way that they actually sequester carbon. So they're pulling carbon down into the soil and they reckon, I think they're still doing all the crunching, all the numbers that actually they've managed to sequester more carbon than their products emit. So there are different ways of farming, different ways of doing things. So again, being a bit more thoughtful, can I afford organic? If a veg box every week is too much, can I get one once every four weeks? You know, organic is a brilliant way of reducing the carbon impact of our food. So the Organic September campaign talk about just swapping one product out with a weekly shop. So instead of the regular bananas, can I get the organic bananas? Or instead of the regular milk this week, can we get organic milk and we'll try it out and see how it goes? Or can we get 50-50 organic and normal? Do you know, again, nothing has to be all or nothing, but thinking about ways that you can just gradually chip away at these things. Yeah, I think it's so accessible, isn't it? It's so accessible. And I think like any change, you know, we know now around the kind of brain chemistry around change, as you say, the first step is the hardest because of homeostasis, the brain wants us to stay the same and our, our patterning wants us to stay the same. So I think making these tiny switches, building from there is a really important message around this because I think the narrative around being green and particularly for parents you know those mm. statistics of the carbon footprint of a child yeah. is free and Megan saying they wouldn't have more than two because of the carbon footprint or like it can bring so much guilt and overwhelm mm. I think what I like about your message particularly and I haven't talked about this subject on the podcast before because I'm super conscious that it doesn't feel like another thing mm. but I think what your message is is that this is tiny 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 change and each yeah, baby steps slightly more mindful and aware of what we can do I always ask the same question at the end which is if you could give just one gift to all the parents in the world all the mothers in the world what would that one gift be and why I feel like I should say something really profound about you know like believing in the power of your choices and your voices realistically probably sleep (laughs) because it's just I mean neither of us slept for the first two three years and it's just so debilitating isn't it you're in survival mode. The capacity that you then have to look up and to make changes, the changes that maybe you want to, but you just don't feel like you have the time or energy for is huge. So, you know, God, if you, can you imagine the changes the world would see if all mothers had eight hours sleep a night? <laughs> be absolutely phenomenal that alongside absolutely believing in this power that we all have the stat you quoted about the 60 percent of carbon emissions coming from household consumption couple that with the stat it's from 2015 so it might be a bit outdated but apparently women make 70 to 80 percent of household buying decisions which is depressing and sexist and all those kinds of things but actually you put those two together and you're like oh God, my decision about what to have for tea tonight again, or my decision about what blooming lube cleaner to buy, like this has the potential to make a change. Like I am rocking this, you know, I am powerful. So we, I think as mothers especially, have the potential to create a huge amount of change. I think that's a really positive, empowering way to end, you know, a tricky conversation. Thank you so much. It's been really eye-opening and also really compassionate. Good. Thank you. And I mean, thank you so much for having me because where a lot of the time I'm sort of preaching to the choir, preaching to the converted. And in order to get this message out wider and to empower more people, you know, it really needs mainstream, if you like, podcasts and influencers and all those kinds of things. Just asking these questions and having these conversations. So an absolutely massive thank you to you for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. 
So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.